0: In this episode, we'll be talking about rooming houses, a strategy where you can almost double your rental income from your existing investment property okay so if you want to double your rental income you want to get to your passive income goals faster you want to get to your retirement goals faster if you've heard about rooming houses um, but you're not really sure whether they're right for you or if you haven't heard about rooming houses and you want to see if this can fast track supercharge your journey to passive income then continue listening Do you want to achieve wealth and passive income through property investing? PK Gupta, host of Oz Property Investment Mastery, will help you achieve passive income by buying top 5% growth and positive cash flow property and building a portfolio using data without you wasting months of time doing research, spending weekends at inspections, or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents each time. So if you are confused and overwhelmed by the amount of contradictory information available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. Let's get into it, rooming houses. So what are they? Rooming houses are effectively where you have a, it's like from the outside, it looks like just a normal residential house. But what you've done is you've converted each of the rooms, each of the bedrooms in that house up to 5 bedrooms to be self-contained units okay so they may have a little access to an ensuite or they have or also they have little access to a kitchenette so effectively rooming houses are where you know you can rent each room out separately when you have more than five tenants in a house that's classed as boarding houses. You know, and of course that can go into the hundreds. I'm not talking about boarding houses here. I'm talking about rooming houses, residential real estate where it's self-contained rooms. So of course, you can have students, but I'm more um, saying rooming houses. A lot of the demographic that lives here are maybe young people who have moved out of their house, or and this is a very common demographic: um, women um, between the age of let's say forty or, or sixty. They don't have a spouse, and really, it's just a you know, cost-effective way for them to find somewhere to live. They don't need a big house. They live by themselves. They don't want to live in an apartment, you know, because they don't want that sort of apartment vibe. They want a house vibe. And actually, sometimes they want to live with other people in that same, you know, house, even though they're all different rooms. They have that sort of common area, the living room, and it helps their, you know, social... um, how can you say like this social element, the social environment, less lonely and all that kind of thing. So there's all sorts of demographics that, that demand as tenants these rooming houses. And you know the, the biggest pro, biggest upside, I'm gonna go through two upsides and I'm gonna go through about 10 of the gotchas, what you need to watch out for. Um, let's start with the pros. So the biggest pro of rooming houses because you're renting each room out separately, You get a much higher rent per week, rent per year, and rental yield. Okay, so let's say you've got a house and it's renting out for $500 a week. Let's say it's a three bedroom, four bedroom house. If you rent out each room separately, you could get, let's say, $200 per room. Okay, and so two hundred times four bedrooms is eight hundred. So all of a sudden, you've almost doubled your rental income. Okay, and that this is really the the crux of it. This is really the um, the the essence of why people consider rooming houses. You know, in in the UK, it's incredibly common. In the UK, it's called HMO, and property investors rack up, you know, more than a hundred thousand pounds of passive income net after all costs by doing hmo because it's a very common strategy there one of the reasons it's so common is banks like it and also housing is really unaffordable in the uk especially in london all right, London and, and other places, but especially these big cities, you know, it, it, it trumps even places like Sydney, right? So this is by default where people have to live and therefore property investors, you could say from a capitalistic perspective, um, you can't blame them. They make the most of that demand and they you know, configure rooming houses. And, you know, you, within a few years, you can, you can rack up $100,000 plus passive income. Okay. So that's really the benefit it. This trend is starting to take off in Australia a little bit, but it's just hit a few speed bumps and I'll explain the reasons why. So there's about 10 downsides of rooming houses. The first downside, if you're thinking about doing a course in rooming, or you're thinking about doing it yourself or hiring a buyer's agent, just watch out for these 10 gotchas. Number one is that the council requirements are incredibly strict. Okay, so it's not like you can convert a four-bedroom house to a four-individual-room, rooming house where you can let each of the rooms separately, in any in every council across Australia. Okay, it's incredibly strict, and the reason for that is there's fire safety. Um, you know, regulations, there's so many hoops and hurdles you need to go through to meet the, you know, security, safety, um, and other environmental you know, regulations. So, this these hoops and hurdles often mean that in most councils you can't do this, even if you tried. And even in the councils that you can modify an existing house and you know give each of the bedrooms a kitchen a, a access to an ensuite, have a living room where everyone can can come together, separate meters, separate entrances to each of the rooms. Even if you can do that, it's a bit of an onerous process to get approvals. You know, these approvals can cost thousands and thousands of thousands of dollars, which make the whole thing cost prohibitive makes the whole thing the business case just not make sense okay um and i should say as well that I personally haven't done rooming houses in Australia, so everything I'm sharing is based on you know literally dozens of clients who have done rooming houses and then adopt um, different strategies and work with me. So I learn from their experiences. Um, the Facebook group that I have, where there's more than twelve thousand people, people share their experiences, and I have um, you know you could say you know, 10, 15 people who are experts in this space who help their clients do this, that tell me about these pros and cons. Even though I don't have, you know, deep personal experience, all of this is based on a lot of authoritative Um, experience, and credibility. The second downside with rooming houses is that there's a lot of managing required, okay? So the property manager will charge easily 10 to 15% plus. Now, juxtapose that or compare that with a normal residential property where you're paying a maximum of six, seven, eight, nine percent you know, most times, most states around across Australia. So you're paying almost double property management fees. And, you know, the, the reason is that there's more to manage. The more people that live there, different parties, different tenants, the more issues that arise, the more there is to manage. Okay, so a lot of that extra yield, remember we talked about how a four-bedroom house, you're renting for $500 a week, um, you're converting it into a rooming house, letting out each room separately. You can get $800 a week or let's just say $1,000 a week to be you know on the high side the extra property management fees is eating into that additional yield so that's a downside number three um, there are higher costs due to higher maintenance okay higher utilities cost advertising and insurance. Let's just go through those real quick. So maintenance costs, you got more people living in the same house, so naturally there's more, you know, wear and tear. That's kind of understandable. Utilities, you got more people living in the house. There's more internet usage, there's more electricity usage, there's more water usage, there's more all of that kind of thing. Additional costs for you as the landlord, extra advertising in on average every 8 or 9 months. Uh, there will be a vacancy. Every eight or nine months, there will be one of your tenants. Of course, you've got you know up to five tenants, but one of your tenants will be moving out every nine months. So every time that happens, you know, you need to do stuff. You need to advertise for a new tenant and manage that whole process, which, takes more cost than a normal residential tenancy, um, which would come up for renewal every year or, or, or every 18 months or two years. And then additional insurance. So there's some, most insurance providers don't even provide building or landlord insurance. I should say landlord insurance specifically um, for rooming houses because of the inherent costs and, and risks that they associate with them. So that means it's hard to find insurance, and even if you can find it, the premiums are so much higher. So all of these things, additional costs, you know, they kind of erode into or eat into the additional yield that you are getting. You know, five hundred bucks a week up to a thousand bucks a week, they eat into it. So it's it's not quite as good as what it seems on the surface. Okay, number four downside is, you know. Even if you're not managing the rooming house yourself, you're outsourcing to a property manager and paying them the 15% fee, you know, 15% of your rental income fee, it's still not a passive strategy. It's still active. You still will get on a weekly basis maintenance requests. You will still get on a regular basis the property manager calling you saying there's some sort of issue or maybe even conflict. Um, between tenants, like I said, tenant attrition is high. So you'll be having to vet tenants, you know, um, more than once a year to find new tenants and, and basically just putting out fires. So if you are doing rooming, you know, I would recommend to have a property manager manage your tenants. Right, don't do this yourself. Otherwise, it's you've just bought yourself a job. But even if you are getting a property manager to manage your tenants, it's still not a completely passive strategy. For example, myself, and I've shared this before. You know, I have eleven investment properties, and for me, it probably takes, um, you know, putting aside the tax side of things, probably takes two or three hours a month to to manage. Now, if you had eleven rooming houses, or even if you had two rooming houses. That would be, you know, you're you're looking at at least 24 to, to 48 hours of actual email correspondence work thought, you know, every month. So it's it's more of an active strategy. Number five downside is the high tenant attrition. I talked about this before, but I just want to to highlight it, you know, especially because most investors, including perhaps you and I, we invest in property for passive income. We want to be able to leave our nine to five in the future. We want to be able to retire once we're 65 or whatever it is with an income. So we're not having to rely on the poultry. I think it's $30,000 government pension, which by the way, by the time I retire, I'm 32 right now may not even be there. Okay. <laughs> So, you know, we want to have a steady, reliable, predictable income. With tenant attrition so high, I mean, just imagine if you do have this quote-unquote cash cow, this rooming house in your portfolio, after you're retired, you don't need that stress. You don't need a tenant leaving every six to nine months. And every time that happens, your passive income dries up. And if that's your key source of income, you know, after retirement or even before retirement, then that's going to cause some, you know, some sort of stress, some anxiety, some financial peril so that's another reason why I don't like rooming houses or, or in other words that's the the fifth downside of rooming houses and I shouldn't say I don't like it I just see as you can probably glean by now there's a lot of downsides which to some extent in my mind at least um, outweigh the the positives but you know there's still People out there for whom this might be a viable, you know, valid strategy. Number six downside, you know, to really convert an existing house, like we said, a four bedroom, you know, normal two, two um, garage house, you know, let's say 600 square meters house somewhere in Brisbane or regional Australia or wherever Melbourne to convert this into a rooming house where each bedroom is self-contained, perhaps it has its own access, or at least has its own kitchenette and win- sufficiently large enough window—all the things that the local council will require—the refurbishment or the renovation costs, you know, get takes about twenty thousand dollars. All right, that—that's kind of the experience um, from everyone I've talked to, from everyone I've interviewed, from everyone, or um, all of my research, basically. On average, twenty thousand, give or take, up or down. So. So once again, there's this concept of payback period. Okay, so you know, in business and corporate life, and in, in anything really, there's pros and cons, there's benefits and negatives. So you, there's this something called a payback period. If you are paying money, you should get a return on that money as soon as possible. So if you're paying twenty thousand dollars to refurbish, renovate this house, and the additional rent that you're getting, you know isn't covering that initial $20,000 for four years or five years, then you got to ask yourself, is it worth it? You've just bought yourself that additional rent. It's not actually extra financial income. It's not actually additional return on investment. There's actually not, you know, some sort of return there until after four or five years. Do do you get what I'm saying here? So you've spent $20,000. Your income from that property is increased, but that increase, you know, it, let's say it's $4,000 additional income per year. That's five years until your initial $20,000 is paid back. So for mine, you know, you've just paid yourself, paid for that additional income, which that payback period just isn't good enough for me. Number seven downside of, of rooming houses, hard to sell. Okay. Of course, we don't really want to sell our investment properties. And I can hear you say that, that PK, why would I sell this, my cash cow, right? But we still want to buy properties where if, you know, God forbid something really tragic was to happen and you need to liquidate your assets, not that that would happen every day, but you need to have the ability to do so, right? So if you have a standard residential house, you can sell it any day of the week. I mean, you know, just you find the right price, you'll always have a buyer. Whereas rooming house, because it's configured in such a customized, unique way where each room is self-contained it's not really a house where an average family would love to live because it doesn't look normal from the inside everything is you know truncated everything is customized everything is made fit for purpose for rooming you know kitchenette in every bedroom like (laughs) who who wants that right maybe there are some people but you know it, it makes it hard to sell It's going to make it really hard to sell. And the last thing you want to do is spend another $20,000 making it as it was when you first bought it. Okay, so it's hard to liquidate these assets. And for that reason as well, banks often don't increase the valuation of them. Because the bank sees what would another person realistically pay for this. And 95% of people in Australia wouldn't buy your rooming house. Okay, so that really... You know, handcuffs or handicaps that valuer's ability to value up your property to be able to take equity out. That's, you know, once again, these are all generalizations. You know, of course, there's always cases where exceptions exist, right? Rules are meant to be broken, but... Um, Keep this in mind. You know these are all valid points that you need to have in the back of your mind if you're considering this strategy. Because I know there's a lot of courses, other people trying to sell you this out there on the internet, and they don't tell you all of these hard truths or ground realities. Number eight. So at number eight, downside of rooming houses is it's you know way more complicated than a single tenancy. Okay. When I say complicated, I just mean a headache. Okay, I just mean a headache, and what do I mean by that? You know, when you've got multiple le- people, especially who aren't family members, living in the same, you could say, a box. I know they're in different rooms, but still there's a common kitchen as well as their individual kitchenettes. There's still a common living area, common garage, etc. When you have these, um, you know, non-related parties living together, there's bound to be disputes, social tensions you know it could be that one person's mining bitcoin one taking up too much electricity and internet speed one person's you know I'm, i'm being a little bit extremist here but one person's doing drugs which which you know obviously impacts everyone else one person's really loud they could just have personality clashes so for us as the landlord that is a headache you know there's not much we can do about that it's not like we can kick them out because you know They've been verbally bullying each other. Like that's not a cause to be able to kick a tenant out. Alright, nor do we want to kick a tenant out. Like that's a whole separate, you know, headache. So you get the point, right? These aren't, this is not one single family, different unrelated people. Sometimes they get along like a house on fire. Um, forgive the pun because that's the reason why they wanted to live in a rooming house for that social environment. But oftentimes they don't and that's going to be an issue. Number nine downside is banks don't love rooming houses for their serviceability calculators. I'll give you an example in the middle of COVID, not that COVID comes around every day, but in the middle of COVID, NAB, one of the big four banks in Australia, they kind of came out and said, we are not going to consider any income from any rooming houses when it comes to serviceability calculators. They were just like putting on their super conservative, risk-averse hat in 2020 because of all the stuff that was going on because of COVID, right? Could that happen again? Maybe, maybe not. But we do know that banks will penalize your rental income from rooming houses so um, that it becomes harder for you to buy more and more property. Even though it's positive cash flow on paper, banks will penalize, they'll truncate it, they might only take 50%, 60% of that rental income in assessing your cash flows and your ability to have borrowing capacity for your next property, for your next property, for your next property. So. Having a rooming house doesn't actually, even though cash flows can be a bit higher, like I've said before, doesn't actually add to your borrowing capacity. It doesn't actually help you get that additional next house versus a normal residential property. Okay, banks don't like them. Last downside, number 10, is rooming houses, will it be a viable strategy going forward? We know this working from home culture, this movement, You know, who knows? Maybe, you know, corporates will get everyone, all their workers to come back into the office next year. But it's probably unlikely to happen, right? We're probably likely to see more working from home than ever before. So think about it. Do people need more space in where they live than before? And I think most of everyone who's listening We'll say yes, because we now need an office or at least an environment space in our rooms or in our houses to have, you know, a desk and and do work, have some privacy. Our home has become our gym, our office, our place of sleep, place of recreation, all of that, place of entertainment. So people are edging, erring towards larger spaces in which to live. Rooming houses is just the flip side of that. She's the opposite of that, right? Smaller, tightly contained, more compact areas. I think you know there's a social trend away from them. Okay? So I'm not a, an expert in social demographics, but number 10 that's my take on it, that's the 10th downside. So to summarize, look It's for some people, if you can handle those downsides, we know that the gross rents will be double. You can maximize your yield, you can get to your passive income goals faster. But it's a lot of work, a lot of implication, a lot of complication. And that double of gross rents or gross yield is significantly diluted when it comes to net OK, and, and in my mind, the additional net income, net rent, net yield that you get by doing rooming houses is just not worth it on a weighing scale. You know, additional income versus additional complications, all those 10 downsides, risks for me, you know, my take not worth it. My name's P.K. and guys, remember that if it's to be, it's up to me. Take your financial future in your hands. Do it. Bye, guys. <laughs>